0: Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the bride and who the bride is and what God shows us throughout scripture concerning the bride. How many know that he's coming back for his bride? And I'll get to that. I'll, I'll definitely get to that. This morning, it's going to take a little bit of time, and uh, I've started a little bit early so that I can get this teaching in because I'm not really going to stand over here and preach. I want to teach you this morning. I want to show you things in Scripture I believe that you haven't really looked at before and give you an understanding that maybe you have never seen before. But I want to say this because in lieu of the day and the age that we live in, the world has never been in the condition that it's in right now. There is so much going on. This world that we aren't aware of, that we have no idea of, but God does. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, friend, I'm wondering if the church is really rejoicing over what took place this past week in overturning the ruling on Roe versus Wade. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, in honesty speaking, Knowing that he he has known us before we were even in our mother's womb tells me that there is life at the moment of conception that is in the mother's womb. I'm not going to stand up here and argue details and science this and that and everything else. I'm just going to tell you there's a worldview and then there's God's view. And I'm sorry, but I come down on God's view. And I shouldn't apologize for that. But I need to make us aware of something here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit rough in the beginning. Am I allowed to be a, bit, a little bit rough? <laughs> Some of you are like, Martha, should we leave now? <laughs> no, just stay right where you're at. But here's the thing you know, we look at the world and we go, oh my goodness, it's in such bad shape. Surely Jesus is coming soon. And I understand that. I I totally get that. But I don't think we stop to think about the fact that maybe with what we're seeing in this world today is the result of rejecting God and realizing God's wrath on this earth. There, isn't that an encouraging word to you this morning? Let's start out with a verse of scripture that I want to show to you. I want to explain something here very quickly. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, "Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses." Now, let me just stop right there. Since we are what? Surrounded by such? A, this is not an audience that's standing up in the that's sitting up in the stands going, "Go, boy, go!" No, this is not about a bunch of people, a crowd, trying to cheer you on. These people are dead. They have since passed away. The word witness, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means martyr. Okay, these were martyrs. And that's why Hebrews 11 explained all of these people and would say, you know, of such people, this world wasn't even worthy to receive. But what takes place here is that you have these lives whose life experiences are speaking at us loud and clear and overwhelming. We are surrounded by their witness, by their martyr, by their experiences, by their life speaking to us in volumes. So why are we getting so caught up in everything else Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with the endurance, the race that is set before us. And then, as verse 2 would say, fixing your eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. All right, let me me just get started on this, because I want to get into this teaching, because I think you need to understand right from the very beginning, God, who is to be worshipped for his absolute goodness, must be the aggressive enemy of evil. Point blank, you might just look at that as a thought, but friend, you need to understand it as a reality. If he's an aggressive enemy, of, if he's an aggressive enemy of evil, what does that mean? You shouldn't be doing that. No, that's not right. Oh, I need to just send them some conviction. That's what I need. That's not an aggressive enemy. Think about what an aggressive enemy does, how it works. The God of the Bible is not some neutral God who could care less. He is not just, you know, sort of out there. That There is goodness going on and evil going on and he could care less about it all. I got news for you. The God of the Bible is one who must be aggressively against evil and aggressively for good. Therefore, he must punish sin. And sin is not the action, it's where the action comes from. It's the condition. It is separation from God. It is rejection of God. Look, friend, I I'm, I'm sorry, but the doctrine of hell in the Bible is a necessity. It is not something we are to be embarrassed about, friend. If I am really going to understand God in his goodness, in his righteousness, I must stand with these witnesses, this crowd, and, 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 and understand something here. I don't know how you feel from the depths of your spirit here this morning about this. It's one thing to study this. It's another thing to look out at the world and to know that God is, just does not wink at sin the long suffering of God waits but unquestionably all that is associated with this world system is going, shall be, not just is going is now being judged and eternally judged and there's no question about it, God judges hello But that's almost just the wedding march, if you please. Let me show you a verse of scripture here in Revelation chapter 7. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, don't rush on when you come to that expression bride. And I want to pull something out of here in Revelations because we have echoes, okay? That's the word I use to describe it. I like to say that every word, every concept, every picture that you find in Revelations is an echo from somewhere else. When we come to the expression bride, that is an echo that you find all the way through the scriptures. In fact, in one sense, It is like the oldest echo that is consistently picked to tell us something about the nature of the true church. Do you remember uh, Paul gives us that right to do that? I mean, you can read it for yourself, and I encourage you to do so in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. It's between verses 22 and 32. They're not on your paper. They're not on the screen, but I suggest you take a look at them. I mean, because there what he does is he goes all the way back to the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. And there in in verse 32 of Ephesians, Paul is going to state this is a great mystery. He's just been talking about the union, the marriage of Adam and Eve, and then he tags this on in in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what we have here in the Pauline authority is to be able to state that the church, that the Old Testament is teaching us concerning Christ and the church under the symbol of Adam and Eve, the groom and the bride. There are many pictures that you'll find of the church in the Bible and many pictures in the New Testament. The one picture is that of a bride and the groom, Christ the groom, and the church is the bride. Have I lost you yet? Look, that is the one that spans through the entire scriptures. Adam and Eve, the first groom, the first bride, teaches us everything we need to know of what God means when he says the word bride. Do, do, you, do you remember when God took Eve out of, out of the sight of Adam? Well, may, do you remember reading it? You might not have been there. So, what, what happened is he presented Eve to Adam after the surgery and said, here's your wife. Do you remember what Adam said? His words were this. This woman is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Paul's going to repeat that in chapter 5 there, of which we just read the 32nd verse. But have you really ever thought about that? I mean, some of these expressions you and I know so well, we never even stop to really think about them. We just sort of repeat, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But take a look at this. Bone of my bone means the bones... That she has are really my bones. Flesh of my flesh means the flesh she has is really my flesh. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Have you ever really stopped to think about that? Because it's a huge, tremendous statement. So what was, what was Adam saying? I mean, what was, what was he saying? He is saying, now listen. This one who is coming toward me now is none other than me. She is me in another form, right? She, she is none other than me. That's me in, 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 in another form. You grab that. Okay, think about this. I'm not, Adam had a tremendous command of language. I mean, this is the guy that... Uh, well. He starts naming all the animals. Look, look, the, the idea that our ancestors were nothing more than grunting apes running around, you know, going like this. No. I mean, that's ridiculous in my book. He was born with this incredible command of the language. He had already called himself in Hebrew. He calls himself Ish. Ish means self. It's it's a person, a, a rational person. It's when you look in the mirror and say, "I, me, self," and 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 understand that doesn't really mean a whole lot today. I, I get that, but when you are the only person on the face of the earth, that's going to mean a whole lot to you. You can't turn to the animals and look at them and go, "Ah, ish, 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 ish." They're not a person. He had named all the animals. Every animal had its own name. But when it came to himself, he said, "Ish. I'm different from the others. They're great animals. They're great pets. They imitate me even. But they're not me. Ish. yeesh. That's the Hebrew word. And of course, we translate that man. In the first chapter of Genesis, it's man, me, I. When Eve came towards him, Genesis tells us, he called her woman. But in the Hebrew, the word is ishah. I hope you see what he's saying. He had looked everywhere among all the animals. Is there another ish? Is there another ish? And there wasn't one. Self that I communicate with, another Me? And when Eve comes towards him, he took one look and said, "Ish." And then he saw that she was different, and he said, "Ha ha, ish,." Oh. I'm sorry, that's the Hebrew. What he's saying is, "She's me, but she's not me. She's me in another form. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." Self of myself, she's me, yet she's distinct from me. That was the very first message. And that is the understanding when the Bible says the word bride. Hold that in your head for a minute. How did she, Eve, come into existence, come to be? How was Eve there? You're going to remember Adam was what? Put to sleep. And do you remember where she was taken from? Yes, she was taken from his side, his rib. God built, he sculptured out of that rib another self. You could say this. Well, I do say this. Adam slept in order that Eve may live. You think about that. Because when I come to the cross of Jesus, there are two sides to that cross. The side that we emphasize a great deal is that the blood of Jesus was shed in order to redeem us from our sin, right? And that's true, obviously. But there's another side, and that's this. Jesus also died in order that the church, the bride, may have life. Do do you remember that so significantly, I think, John records this, that as he stood at the cross, there comes this Roman soldier that came, and he took his spear, and he pierced the side of Jesus, and out of his side flowed what? Blood and... Have you ever thought about what that all meant? I'm sure you've probably heard theories of it. But blood in Scripture speaks of the wiping out of sin. Water throughout the entire Bible speaks of life. Jesus died on the one hand to redeem sin, but on the other hand to give life to the church. The church of Jesus came out of the side of Jesus. I want you to grab hold of what's happening here. The church of Jesus came out of this. He died that she might have life. And when I look at the church, I am looking at Jesus in another form. Do you understand that? When I look at the true church, I am looking at Jesus in another form. You explain the church apart from Jesus. You can't. The church is not a human organization. It's not Methodist. It's not Presbyterian. It's not somebody of God. It's, it's not Catholic. It's not Protestant. Look. The church is that company of people in whom the very life of Christ Jesus is. Therefore, when I look at the church, I am looking at Jesus in another form. That's why in John chapter 3, when it speaks of the very way every individual enters that church, it is through the new birth. Do you remember? It says that you have to be born again. Born again, born from above. Oh, man, that's another message for another time. But there is no natural explanation of the church, friend. It was born out of the death of Jesus. Now, I hope you realize that at this point, I'm not, we're not talking about our sins being wiped out. That's a glorious fact. But we are talking about the life being given so that we become the church. He is the eternal Ish, and he looks at us, the church, and says, ah, Isha, we are Christ in another form. His life is where? Within us. So, so listen, and I hope you grab onto to this. Only that which is of God can be presented to God. Hear me very loud and very clear. Only that which is of God can be presented to God. I hope you understand it. Because it would have been useless for God to bring a monkey to Adam for a wife. Because the monkey was not Adam. Only that which is of Adam could be presented for or presented to Adam for a wife. Are you following me? A nod here or there will give me a lot of hope, okay? (laughs) Only that, listen, only that which came from out of his side, his very other self, now that other self can be presented to him for fellowship. The two can know each other. If I'm going to present to God my own good works, (laughs) If I come to God and say, God, I'm doing my best, I'm struggling hard, but I'm, I'm that's an abomination to God. Only that which is of God can be presented to God. It is of no good saying that I am going to do my best. Our best reeks, really. You say, but I am trying to be like Jesus. There were plenty of apes in the Garden of Eden trying to be like Adam. Apes have been good mimics ever since the Garden of Eden. To try and be like Jesus, to mimic him is not a qualification for being part of this company that we're talking about. Only that which is of God can be presented to God. Only through the death of Jesus Christ When the spirit of Jesus comes into us and we begin to exhibit the fruit of that spirit and our lives are of God, now that is a bride fit to be presented to him. Do you follow what I'm saying? Not that I'm saying that the church is Jesus. No, 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 no. Any more than Jesus is the church. Or any more than Eve was Adam. Or as God said, These two shall become what? He didn't say they one shall become one. They are two. You are not Jesus Christ. Christ is in you. You have life because of him. But you are not him any more than Eve was Adam. Two. Two distinct ones. Yet they are one correct? So the church is alive with the life of Jesus, and in that sense, Jesus in another form, and yet she is not Jesus. They're two, and yet those two are one. That is the idea behind the idea of bride, okay? Let me show you some stuff. You'll find another, I call it a beautiful picture of the bride that is one of the most unquestionable echoes in the Old Testament to this New Testament understanding. That in Genesis chapter 22, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of how Abraham took Isaac and offered him on Mount Moriah. And, and, and as the knife was, was poised to plunge into the heart of his son as an offering to God, God stopped his hand. Now, it's significant that at that point, when Isaac was, in effect, dead and raised again, Hebrew 11 puts it that way, you need to read it, that, in effect, Isaac in Abraham's head had died. The parallel, to me, is unbelievable. It was three days since Abraham had obeyed God, and for three days, Isaac basically lays dead in the heart of Abraham, okay? Okay? following me so far he was going from his tent and he was going to offer Isaac and and for three days he lays dead in Abraham's heart in Hebrews 11 it says that Abraham was positive that even if that knife went into his heart God would indeed raise that boy from the dead to prove his promises So as a result, the knife did not go in. But on the third day, Isaac, in the heart of Abraham, rose from the dead again. Also, you do know where Mount Moriah is, right? Some people call it Calvary. It is the very same mountain. In the very same place, 2,000 years later, Jesus would die. And just down the road from there underneath... In a tomb, he would rise again from the dead. Can someone say amen? See, having told that story in Genesis 22, and it's in verse 20 through 23, which is such a parallel to the cross, that last verse of the chapter seems to go off at some weird angle. I don't don't know if you read things and then, you know, get into it, and it's like, you know, Moses is on his way back to the people, and God's angry with him and tried to kill him, and all this stuff. It's just there's some things in there that just pop out, and you go, What in the world are they there for? I mean, this one, particularly in, in verse uh, uh, there, it says, At that time, Abraham heard that his brother, who lived in Padan Aram in Syria, had some children. I mean, you just got done almost plunging a knife into your son coming out praising and worshiping, getting ready to head back and then you've got this scripture that's, I mean I remember when I first read this and I went oh my goodness, whoever wrote this has really got bad timing, okay I mean you're, you're trembling with what's next in anticipation, what's happened I mean again Isaac nearly dies and they're coming back, God did that and God did this and oh by the way Here's a letter from Uncle Nahor that he had some kids. Hey, until you notice, one of those children's names was Rebekah. And Rebekah was to become the bride of Isaac. You talk about, in my book, the Holy Spirit putting together something. In the chapter in which Isaac was offered up, and in type, was raised again immediately upon that. The Holy Spirit says, That is when Rebecca was born. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that is when the bride was born. You want to talk about an incredible parallel? I mean, you could follow this all the way through. For example, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a tremendous book of the Bible which is just there to teach us more about the concept of the bride. Ruth was, if you remember, an outcast. She was a Moabite. A Moabite was a dirty Gentile. She couldn't speak Hebrew. She was a different race on top of that. And so here she is, a a different race to the people that she went to, and she spoke a different language. She was gentle, and she came into the congregation of Israel, uh, you remember that, right? See, she came into a poverty stricken situation, and then Boaz turns up. And you remember, Boaz was a special person. You've heard the expression, kinsman redeemer. Do you know why they call it kinsman redeemer? Because in, in, in Hebrew, there is only one word, and that word is goel. And the word goel means my relative. My kinsman, but it also means my redeemer. All three of those words are the same word in Hebrew. If I am your relative under ancient Hebrew understanding, you you are in trouble. I, I have to redeem you. I may not like you, but that is beside the point, you're my relative. If you are my relative, I have to redeem you. So the word relative and the word redeemer is one word in Hebrew. And here they find Boaz. Ruth's married into the family, and the husband has died. But she is still in the family. And so the whole story of the book of Ruth is that he became her redeemer. He married her. He brought her under the umbrella of, and the riches and the dignity of his name. He became her Goel, her kinsman, redeemer. Jesus Christ is our Goel. We're the outcasts. We're the unwanted. We don't have any right to the promise of God. God over and over again said, I am your redeemer. I often wonder what the ancient Greek Hebrews must have, ancient Greek Hebrews, ancient Hebrews thought about, I mean, because God is saying, I am your relative, I'm your redeemer, I'm your relative. How can God, who is eternal, infinite spirit, be a relative of men of flesh and blood? That is the whole argument of Hebrews chapter 2. God did not take on the form of angels, but he did take on the form of what? Man, flesh and blood. And God then, in, 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 in my flesh and my blood, can say, I am your relative. You're Goel. I am a man like you. In the cross, he redeemed us and married this Ruth. We become the bride of Goel, the Redeemer. Are you getting this? A couple of nods here and there. I'll wake the person up next to you. We'll be fine. But what we're doing is we're stacking all these. On. These are echoes. Echoes. It's all in there. All through the Old Testament, Israel was called what? The Bride of Jehovah. But the Bride in waiting, always waiting. Now in Christ the Goel, the Bride has become. A reality and all the jewels of the promises of God, they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Amen? So when it says marriage of the Lamb is come, boy, that's a loaded statement. The marriage of the Lamb has come. But more than that, marriages in the East are not the marriages in the West. There's a difference. We would take, I mean, well, I'd like to take a, a, a little, at least brief look at the difference in order to understand what is it saying here. The marriage of the lamb has come. What does that mean? It can only be understood in Eastern terms. The first step of marriage in the East was what? Engagement. Forget about everything you know about Western protocol. Forget the idea of looking at your girl of choice. With bluebirds in in your eyes. Whoever came up with that idea. You know, you got bells. She says something and you go, oh. And then falling on your knees, you go quivering. Will you marry me? Forget that. They had a much more sensible idea in the East. You send an old servant, and if he knows a woman, he knows a woman, and if you are just some young fellow, what do you know about women, now this fellow, he's been around a lot, what am I talking in an accent, I don't know, but he knows a woman, so we're not going to trust you, little lad. We are not even going to let you loose. Hello? You stay home. We'll send a person who knows. You know what he's called? The matchmaker. This is the old filler on the roof. You get a pretty good idea of the Eastern way of handling this. But you're too young, you know, too foolish to think of marriage we send a matchmaker and he's the one who goes now if you were to follow this through genesis 24 it is the perfect picture isaac is home and you have matchmaker elazar the trusted servant who goes to padanaram to find a bride for isaac the fact is that isaac had never ever set eyes on Rebecca. The fact that there was no photographs, no tweets, no TikTok, no Facebook, no FaceTime. <laughs> Once you get married, you do FaceTime, anyways. It's the anointing, my friend. It's the anointing. <laughs> but all that's beside the point. Elazar comes to Rebecca. And the fact that Rebecca had never laid eyes on Isaac is, again, beside the point. Elazar knows where he is at. And of course, in that story, there is more at work than Elazar. Hello. And that is what we're dealing with right now. That was the picture of the bride, and who's the matchmaker? The Holy Spirit comes to us. We are in. Padam Aram, the place that was very, very materialistic and worldly with Laban being the boss of all of it. And in Padamaram comes the Holy Spirit, Elazar, and he came to Rebekah, and he invited her to become the bride of Isaac. That meant, of course, from our perspective, that she was called to inherit the blessings of Abraham. Although she was born in Padamaram, she came to be married to the unknown Isaac and to receive every blessing God had ever promised to Isaac. She was going to be born into it. It was an engagement, okay? Now, an engagement was was as binding as marriage, friend. You remember that when you go back to the story of Joseph and Mary and How Joseph looked at putting her away because they were not married yet. But he had to get a bill of divorce in order to do it. An engagement was not a, a period before the final commitment, okay? Engagement was the final commitment. Engagement was followed by a period of time before the marriage. But the engagement was the commitment. You got that? Okay. You have the engagement. That's the commitment. The time of marriage, that's the time that is spent between. So the Holy Spirit has come to us. And this is what has happened to us. The Holy Spirit has come to us. You and I have never seen Jesus. But who, having not seen, we love we are now rejoicing with a joy unspeakable the engagements taken place paul says that in, in 2 second corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2 where he says he has engaged us as a virgin to christ now some of these are not on the screen i'm going to tell you that right up front but write them down second corinthians chapter 10 verse 2 in other words we've come we have come the engagement of which there is no breaking has taken place you get that the engagement of which there is no breaking has taken place the engagement was followed by a period of time in which they did not see each other okay still they don't see each other there is a period of time now before the marriage takes place but then there comes the time when the groom leaves the home and comes to the house of the bride to pick her up remember the story in genesis 24 isaac left his home and went out to meet the bride as she came and he stood out there that was the way it was done and so in this chapter you've got a picture of the groom coming to meet the bride do you remember in the temptation the devil presented himself to jesus and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And he said, all these things I give you for it is delivered into my hands to do it. Jesus had come to this world in order to take all the kingdoms of the earth. The devil said, why, why go through all that? Just, just bow down and, 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 and they'll all be yours. Just bow down and worship it. But you see, Jesus had come. To take the diadems and to slay the devil. He refused it. He goes through the way of the cross and the resurrection. When he rose from, again from the dead, he said he had, gotten, he, had, he had gotten what the devil had offered him. He said, remember, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and upon earth. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ. So who's Jesus Christ? Because quite frankly, when all is said and done, do you really know who he is? Do you remember that one of the titles of of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, His name shall be called Wonderful. (laughs) Uh-huh. I like birthdays and birthday presents. How about you? And you know, everybody asks you what you want for your birthday, so you go ahead, and and you get a package, and it's sort of what you've been expecting to get, right? And then you get a surprise. And 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 and, and what you do is you you begin to open that box, and you begin to realize it's a little bit more than what you expected. And 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 once you have. Taken in what, what, what you've got and you open that box thinking about this thing and wonderful. And oh my goodness, I got another piece of equipment to cook with. Yes! And what do you say? What's the word that comes out of your mouth? Wonderful! The word wonderful assumes you are getting more than you expected. It assumes, my friend, that, that you are Discovering more than you thought possible to discover. His name is wonderful. Every time you think you understand Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, Hey, just a minute. You say, wonderful. It's a little bit more than you thought. The marriage of the Lamb is come. Which, of course is at the very end of the protocol in Eastern weddings that we're talking about. The groom came to where the bride was. The groom came to where the bride was. She didn't go to him. He came to her and took her from there, and they lived happily ever after. Or as Ephesians 4 says, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. At that point, the bride and groom were seen as belonging to each other. It is one thing to live in a little village on the backside of, let's say, Israel and say, I happen to be married to the king of kings. (laughs) You could have fooled me. Look at everything that's going on. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm married to the king of (laughs) kings. Really? Look at all your problems. Look at all the situations. Look at the condition that you're living in. You're married to the king of kings. But when that day of marriage comes, And the king of kings comes for his bride that nobody believed. Guess what, my friend? Some eyes are going to be opened. Some jaws are going to hit the ground. And they're going to have to admit it. The church, the bride, was right. That, That is the idea in Colossians 3 when it says, When Christ who is our life shall appear, we also shall appear with him in glory. John in the third epistle, uh, in the third chapter of his epistle, says, "When we see him, we shall be like him." It is one thing to say you are a son of God, and the world says, "Yeah, right." <laughs> you just are in it for whatever, but when the marriage of the Lamb is come, and the bride and the groom appear together. We shall be seen as we are, and he shall be known as he really is." And all those that have defiled the fact that he was king of kings and lord of lords will see that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. The entire universe will know that things are not what they seem to be and that what we do see around us is that of God's judgment as he must aggressively be the enemy of evil. Can somebody say amen to that? Let me just close it with this. Every knee shall bow, some with joy, some with anger. But every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Can you say amen? I'll give him praise. He's worthy of it. This is just the scratching of the surface. God's been dealing with me on a message that very simply defines the difference between concept and knowledge. And you can tell those who walk in concept versus those who walk in knowledge. Because knowledge is intimate that we're talking about. Knowledge is knowing. Knowledge is experiential. Concept is what most of the church finds itself in at this time. Concept is that which has no priorities, has no passion, no commitment. Other things become more important. The only reason people come to church is out of convenience, out of concept, not out of passion. There's no passion for the house of God, friend. I'm not asking for come on, but... I'll take them. But there's no passion in the house of God. And, and when I say that, I mean for the kingdom of God. I'll explain it later. I'm not going to preach another message right now. Everybody take a lunch break. We'll be back in 30 minutes. But I want you to understand something here. And I've told you my heart. My heart is to see his people grow knowledgeable. Can't forget what God's saying to them. And to know who you are. You are his church. While I was putting this together, I couldn't stop thinking about that old hymn we used to sing years ago when Curly was a pup. That I can't remember right now. Without a spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, I wish I could teach you the history on that right now, but I've, I've extended my welcome. I know that. But I want to say to you, church, we are the church. We are Pride. The church has been birthed. There is that commitment between us. It is that which cannot be broken. And as a result, we've not seen him, but I can tell you he's coming back for his bride. And his word tells us, shows us that. Don't ever second guess that. Don't just take a look around at the world and say, oh my goodness. <laughs> He must be coming soon. He's coming soon. I don't mean to discredit or devalue that, but we've been singing that song since I can ever remember. They told me it was, you know, 11, it was it was 11:59 back then. Still 11:59 right now. It's like the clock stopped. I don't know when he's coming, but I can tell you he's coming. But what I see in the world right now, I believe, is God saying, hey, want to reject me? Fine, this is what you get. And you've, got some, you've got some trumpets coming down on you. You've got some bowls coming down on you. You've got some wrath that's coming down on you. And there is no two ways about it. Because I'm a God of goodness. Aggressively for goodness. And I'm a God aggressively against evil. I do not wink, I judge. That's cool. Amen? Hmm. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for what you've been saying to our hearts and what you've been leading us in and teaching us in. And I just pray that right now, every believer in this house begins to understand something more than they understood before. God, open the eyes of our understanding. Fill us, I pray, with the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Speak into our hearts and lives. And with every head bowed, let me ask this question. You're here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know what it is to receive his forgiveness and to know that relationship. This morning, the matchmaker is saying something, pulling something on us, convicting us. What's he convicting us of? We've been walking in an unbelief in, in that which has been a belief in me. and I can't do it any longer. And when we accept that invitation then what he does is make the change he comes into our lives and he brings to our lives that forgiveness that grace that he purchased through the blood and the water What do I do? You say, thank you, and you receive. If you're here this morning and your heart is saying yes to him, would you just simply affirm that by a priest hand, just right where you said. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or anything. I just want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you this morning and your heart's saying yes to his grace, to his love, for what he's done for you, would you just slip that hand? Father, I pray every heart, every life be turned upside down because of who you are. Let us not settle for where we've been. Oh, God, forgive us for living in a concept. But I pray may there be an increasing knowledge revelation that the Holy Spirit teaches us in Jesus' name stand with me I want us to sing this song together or to worship the at least together I'm here unfold, to tell you the bride is waiting for the return of the groom and the groom is coming for the bride gentlemen who will be serving the emblems
1: The star shall
0: Bridget. Praise. Could you lift that up, Tom? Just lift it up. More, 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 more. Listen. I love this part. Up the music. Lift it. Lift up our hearts. He's coming again. And he's coming for his pride. He's not coming for somebody that has an Angels idea or concept. He's coming for his pride. You. 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 Shout
1: uh-huh. uh-huh. uh-huh.
0: Amen to that. We shall be holy.